0: I want to continue this morning going through the, the, uh, the series called the Gospel. And we're going to continue to walk through different portions of Scripture. And, and each Sunday we're going to, to end with the Gospel. And tying particular verses or portions of Scripture back to the Gospel. And so this morning I want to take you to Mark chapter 10. And that's where we're going to be this morning for a, a quick portion of Scripture And talking about the gospel. I want to pose this question to you this morning though. Some of you, I might take you back to your childhood. Some of you might be relative to today. But I want you to think about something, whether it be today or when you were a kid. That one thing, that one something that you can't live without. You absolutely must have that one thing. What is that one thing in your life that you have to have? Maybe there was something as a child that you thought you had to have. And maybe there's something today as an adult, teenager, young adult, whatever it may be, that you absolutely have to have. Without question, no exceptions, you have to have it. And I'm not talking about your coffee, all right? I'm talking something of more value. Now for some of you that might be of supreme value is your coffee. Right? For a kid or a teenager it might be a video game or a video game console or a cell phone. You absolutely cannot live without it. I think back as a kid growing up, there were several things, I don't know that I could narrow it down to one thing, but there was one thing that that is always, always, when I think back to the things that I enjoyed as a kid, there, there are a couple of things that, that I just, I could not live without, I, I had to have. And I loved those valuable things, those material things that I had in my life and was sharing with somebody earlier this week I remember as a kid every Sunday afternoon uh, my dad he would load our full wheelers up that morning we'd go to church and as soon as church was over we would he- head down to, to the boat right down off of 123 and we would ride our four-wheelers my full wheeler was a valuable possession for me as a kid I absolutely loved my fooler, I had to have one, and so I had one from the time I was five years old to the time I was a teenager. I had a fooler, but there was one thing about six, seven, eight years old, I was a wrestling fanatic, like I loved wrestling on t v and I remember as a kid going to the the store in crossroads right there at the fork of the road. Uh, the one on this side next to the the, uh, car lot. And the guy there that owned the store would sell VHSs. Now, kids, teenagers, you don't know what a VHS is probably, but I remember a VHS and DVDs, they they were non-existent then. But I remember going into that store and and he he would have VHSs that you could either rent or buy. And so every VHS tape that I could buy that had something to do with wrestling, I would buy it. WrestleMania, Royal Rumble, you name it, I bought it, and I loved them. I would sit there for hours and watch it. My favorite wrestler, I have no idea why, there was Hulk Hogan, there was Lex Luger, there was Sting, there was the Ultimate Warriors, there was all of those guys, but for some reason, the the Ultimate Warrior was my favorite wrestler. I don't know why. But he painted his face up, you know, and he would just, you would hit him and knock him down. and He'd start shaking and shaking the ropes. And anyway, I got a stuffed Ultimate Warrior one time. And he was like this, this tall, about three, three foot tall or so. And I absolutely loved that figurine. And I would wrestle with him. Like that. He went everywhere that I went. He did everything that I did. I couldn't live without him. I would, my parents had a king size bed, and, and so the four corners were you know, the buckles. And I'd climb up on top of them, and I'd come down with an elbow, and, and we'd just wrestle. I absolutely loved that figurine. That was something as a kid that I thought that I could not live without. Well, today... I want to tell you something that you you can't live without, and that's Jesus Christ. There's no hope, there's no purpose in life without knowing and accepting the love of Christ. And so let's go this morning to Mark chapter 10. As you continue to ponder this idea, this thought, this question, what is this one thing that you cannot live without? And we're going to go to verse 17 in Mark chapter 10, and here's how it begins. As Jesus started on His way, a man ran up to Him and fell on his knees before Him. Good teacher, He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Then, come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Let's stop there. Let's pray and then we're going to jump into this. God, we thank you so much for the opportunity today to be able to gather together as a corporate body to worship you. God, to call on Your name. And God, ask and beg of Your blessings during this time. God, may it be Your Word that speaks. May it be Your Word that brings about life change. God, I pray that You would come and You would walk among us this morning. That Your presence would be felt. Your presence would be known in this place this morning. Oh God, help us. Help us, God. Study Your Word in a way in which brings honor and glory to Your name. God, most of all, may we exalt Your Son, Jesus, who gave His life on the cross for our sins so that we could accept the greatest gift, the greatest blessing known to man. And that's eternal life, God. We pray this through His name. Amen. I posed that question this morning. The follow-up question to that question earlier is this. What are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of knowing Jesus? Or what are you willing to sacrifice in order for others... To come to know Jesus. As I said last week, it's always important as we study and we read God's Word that we back up a little bit. And then we read ahead a little bit to give us an idea of where Scripture is and where Scripture is going. And this morning as we study some of the teachings of of Jesus, you back up a little bit and you see, you get a a, a kind of a a layout, a groundwork of where Jesus is and what Jesus is is doing and, and I picked this portion of scripture because this, this is not a parable, this is a real life encounter with a young man who had obtained everything he ever wanted at a very early age. This was not a parable but but for his disciples this was a moment in their lives that they would never forget. And so it was for this young man as well. But what was Jesus doing? Where was he? What was he doing? You don't have to back up too far. You stay there in chapter 10. And you see that he was in the region of Judea. And he was across the Jordan River. So you, you flip back to the back of your Bible and you'll see the map there. And And some Bibles have the journey that Jesus was on during his teaching. And it will give you an idea of where Jesus was during that time. But where was He going? Well, you read just past where we read and it says that they were on their way up to Jerusalem. So that gives you an idea of where Jesus is during His journey when the rich young ruler or the young ruler approaches Jesus. So why why is verse 1 so important? As you see, as Jesus started on His way, a man ran up to Him and fell on His knees before him obviously to state the obvious we know and understand that Jesus was the Messiah his words brought meaning they brought purpose they brought clarity they brought peace to life and because of that people followed Jesus masses of people large crowds of people when Jesus was around they flocked to him And so as I read verse 17, I thought, that's interesting. As Jesus was on His way, as He was walking, a man ran up to Him. You know, today, uh, I thought about this in our own personal lives. Who do we have following us? Who do we have in our lives who are noticing Jesus through us and they want to know more about Him? Are people compelled to be around us? Are people compelled to follow us? Not because of who we are, not because of of what we've done or what we say, but because of the life-changing power that we have through knowing Jesus. You see, Jesus, because of who He is, because of what He's done, He gives us purpose. He gives us meaning. He gives us clarity. He gives us the peace of life. And that alone should compel others to want to know who Jesus is. And so, this young man, the Bible says that he ran up to Jesus and he fell on his knees. And the Bible says that before him he said, Good teacher, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Look at verse 18. Jesus answers with a very unique answer. He doesn't lead right into the gospel presentation. He doesn't jump right into, well, because if I were to pull everybody in here and say, if somebody came up to you and asked, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life, what are we going to do? We're going to immediately take them through the gospel, right? And we're going to say, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. But Jesus doesn't do that. He says in verse 18, he says, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I don't have a three-point message. I simply have a couple of questions that as I read this, they came to mind. And the first one was, Who is this rich young ruler, and why does he come running to Jesus? Why does he come and run to Jesus and kneel down before Him? I think there's a couple of things to note. There are several suggestions as you read commentaries. They're going to tell you who they think this guy is and what he's done. I think the most common that you'll read is, is that he was of some prominence in the synagogue. That he was a layman of sorts in the synagogue. But what we do know based off of Scripture, because it's in black and white here, is the fact that he was a rich young man. And so because of that, we can draw two conclusions. Because he was young, he either inherited or he became rich very fast. And because of that, he became a very prominent figure. He had reached a place in his life where, uh, during that time, older men had not yet reached that place. But because he had either inherited or became rich quickly, he had that place of prominence in his day. But here's what's interesting about the Scripture is because he was a man of prominence, because he was a rich man, there were two things that men like that did not do in which he did. And that was that he came running to Jesus. You see, men during that day, they did not do that. Men of prominence did not run. They walked. And so that suggests to us that when he saw Jesus coming, he picked his robe up and he began to run to Jesus. And you see, he was a ruler. He was a layman in the church or in the synagogue. And so, because of that, he was very knowledgeable of Scripture. He knew Scripture. But what does that have to do with anything? What does that have to do with anything? Well, he knelt down before Jesus and men of prominence did not kneel down before anyone. In fact, people came to them and kneeled down before them. But yet, being the rich young ruler that he was, he ran to Jesus. And the Bible says that he kneeled down before him. He was eager. This young man was eager. You see, he had reached a place in his life where he had obtained everything that he ever wanted. He had all the knowledge that you could ask for. And yet he came eagerly to Jesus, running, kneeling down before Him, wanting to know, is this it? There there has to be something more. There has to be something more to this life. And the interesting thing is, is that as he approached him, he he called him good teacher, and yet he didn't realize exactly who he was. Because the very purpose, the very peace in life that he was seeking was right before his eyes. As he kneeled down, as he ran, as he kneeled down before Jesus. I love his eagerness because as a, man of, as a man of prominence, he didn't care who saw him run to Jesus. He didn't care who saw him kneel down before Jesus. You know, it comes to the Gospel, there has to be a, a place in our lives where we understand that it takes humility. That we have to humble ourselves to realize that we're sinners. That we're sinners and there is nothing good about us. You see, that's why Jesus posed the question, why do you call me good? Because He had no idea what was good. You see, He had considered Himself good, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. He had considered Himself just good enough. But Jesus says, you've got to understand that the total definition of good, and you're nowhere in that equation, you and I are nowhere in that equation, the only thing that is good is God. That is the only thing that is good. There is nothing you can measure up to that. The only thing that is good is God. How many people do you think today, how many people do you think today think they're just good enough? Let, let me show you what I'm talking about here in Scripture. Jesus tells him after he asks the question, why do you call me good? In verse 19 he says, you know the commandments. So that tells us right there that, that he may have been uh, you know, a very prominent person in the synagogue. He, he knew the commandments. He had studied them. He knew them. And He lays them out right here. He says, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. And then you should honor your father and your mother. Interesting. Now, I'm not going to poll you, but that's not all of the Ten Commandments. You know that, right? You know that, right? There, there's, there, there's, there's something going on here that, that Jesus leaves out. Of this conversation. And that's the first four commandments. Or the the commandments that deal with our relationship with God. You see, he presents to him all of the commandments that deal with man's relationship to man. But he leaves out the commandments that deal with our relationship with God. Interesting, right? Right? You see, based on man's standards, based on his relationship with other men, he even tells Jesus, he says, look, I've I've done these things. I've kept these commandments since I was a boy. So in essence, he's basically telling God, I'm good enough. I've done good enough. How many people do we know today that they live by that standard? That I've done just enough that I'm just good enough. Let me tell you something, if, if you're living your life that way, that if all you want to accomplish in your life is just to do enough, or just to be good enough, guess what? You're going to be left lost and hopeless. You're going to find yourself every single day when you lay your de- head down on your pillow going... Is this it? Is this really all there is to life? You see, that's where this young man found himself. He found himself at that place in his life where he had obtained everything that he ever wanted, but he was still missing something. And Jesus, in in, in the way that He does... In the beauty and the way that, that he, he, he lays this out before Him, knowing He's a smart man, knowing He's a wealthy man, tells Him, you've you got to keep these commandments. And the young man goes, wait a minute, I, I've, I've done that. So it's almost as if Jesus is, is setting him up. You know, you've heard this. Many people today have what we call a surface faith. a, A shallow faith. A faith that goes far and wide, but there's no depth to it. There's no depth to it. You see... That that today would be this young man. He had a very surface knowledge of what it meant to know God. But yet when it came to truly knowing God, there was no depth. There was no understanding. There was no depth in it at all. Then Jesus poses this to him. So they're going back and forth and in verse 21 after he says but teacher I've, I've kept these things since I was a boy. Jesus looked up at him and he loved him. He had compassion for him because he knew he had a warped understanding of what it meant to truly know God. The Bible says that he loved him and he said but you still lack one thing. There's one thing that you lack He said, go, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, come follow me. And I went, whoa, wait a minute. So, does that mean in order for me to be a Christian, in order for me to truly know and love and serve God, I've got to sell everything that I have, everything that I own, to know God? No. No. But you see, Jesus was trying to get him to see the root of the issue. The heart of the issue was the fact that if you go back into Matthew chapter 5 and 6, the Beatitudes, when, when, when Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, He tells the people there, listen, you cannot serve God and money. You can't have two masters. How did that translate with this young man? What well, says right here at this, the man's face fell. he was sad, he was disappointed, he was hurt, and he went away he went away sad because he had great wealth. You see everything that this guy had known everything that he had obtained. The Bible says he had great wealth. That he had everything that he wanted. But yet his life was wrapped up in that. You see, isn't that a lot of us today? Isn't that a lot of the people that you know today, that their lives, it's wrapped up in their earthly possessions? And see, that's where this guy was. That's simply it. That his life was wrapped up in everything that he had, in his wealth. And Jesus said, listen, if you truly want to know me, if you truly want to follow me, you've got to sell it and give it to the poor. And he was unwilling to do that. You see, the gospel takes... Conviction. In order to understand, respond, and accept the gospel, there has to be conviction. You see, he wanted to seek the things of God. He wanted to seek them, but he didn't want to accept them. He didn't want to accept them because it required too much. In his mind, it required too much because for him it took... Everything. It took everything. You see, there's some of us today that we're simply just seekers of the things of God. Because we're unwilling to give up the things that we have to know God. And every single day, you find yourself going through this same cycle of no peace, of no joy, of no happiness, of no clarity. And you wonder why every single night you're going through this in your head, you cannot figure it out. Well, that's because you've simply been a seeker of God. And you, like the rich young ruler, you need to come running to Jesus. You need to be eager to know Jesus and the things of God. But where he went wrong, you can do it right. And say, God, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, whatever I need to get rid of. And it might not be earthly possessions. It might be your pride. It might be, well, I don't know what everybody will think about me. Or I don't know what everybody will say about me. Who cares? This young man didn't. what happened to him when everybody heard that he went running to Jesus and he fell down and he kneeled down i don't know what happened to him but i know he was probably looked at in a negative light but you know what he didn't care you can't care about that you can't worry about that listen the gospel requires conviction you have to be convicted by the gospel in order for life change to happen And to me, that's the story that we see here with the rich young ruler. He wanted it all, but he wasn't willing to give it all up, to have it all. You've heard the statement, you want your cake and eat it too. You can't have your cake and eat it too. That's what this young man wanted. But Jesus wanted him to understand, listen, it's not that you can't have those possessions, but your life, your life is wrapped up in your possessions. And you need to get rid of that and come follow me. But when that commitment was issued, when, when that challenge was issued, the Bible says that he was sad, his face fell and he was sad and he went away because he owned A lot of things. What are you willing to sacrifice today? What are you willing to sacrifice today? Maybe you're lost. And maybe you've been wrestling with the gospel and wrestling with how could a man live a life to perfection? Simply so He could die on the cross for my sins. How does that even make sense? Or maybe you're at a place in your life where you have allowed those other things. Whether it be selfish ambitions or possessions or whatever it might be. You've allowed those things to get in between you and your relationship with God. Or maybe you're at a place where you just you have a surface faith and there's no depth to that faith. Listen, if I know one thing, I know this: that there's no one good. Only God is good, and in His goodness, we find peace. In His goodness. We find mercy and grace. Because of his goodness, we find hope and joy. We find eternal life through Jesus. I want to tell you this morning I've been down this road. Not that I was a wise man, I was an arrogant kid who thought I knew it all, who thought I had it all. I could say the Ten Commandments and say them backwards, but you know what? There was a day where the Holy Spirit spoke and I realized I had nothing. Because I didn't have Jesus. Listen, I'd rather be broke and poor and have Jesus than have everything that this world could offer and not. This morning, we need Jesus more than anything. We need Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for today. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the challenge that lies within it. God, it's my prayer this morning that Your Spirit would move. God, that You would speak to hearts. That God, if there's someone here in need of salvation, that You would break every chain, You would knock down every wall, every barrier, that might keep them or prevent them from accepting Your incredible gift of eternal life, of forgiveness of sins. God, maybe there's that one that's just lived that life pursuing other things, God, and they've forgotten what it means to have true peace, true joy true clarity. God, I pray that through the words that we sing, God, that you would convict hearts. God, that you would convict us as a church to be the church that you've called us to be. God, to boldly proclaim and live out the gospel message. And That's the fact that we're not good. God, there's nothing about us good but because of your mercy and your grace and your love to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. God, we are righteous in your sight, washed by his blood and saved. God, may that be our song, our message. Our life. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen.